I'm going to invite you to turn your Bible to the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. And what I want to do this morning is I would look at, again, the, the second part of the essential nature of the church. We looked at last week, Jesus said, I'm going to build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. And we have a great privilege of being a part of something wonderful and something beautiful and something big. Now, I came across an article this past week and it actually was in the Wall Street Journal a year ago. And it got my attention because it's about the nature of relationships. And I think relationships in the church are important. I think that you would all agree with that. And the article went something like this. What if we could study people from the time that they were teenagers all the way into old age to see what really matters to a person's health and happiness. Well, that got my attention. So for 85 years, the Harvard Study of Adult Development has tracked about 2,000 men and women for three generations, asking questions of them and taking hundreds of measurements to find out what really keeps people happy and healthy. They've been doing this for 85 years. Through all the studies and all the years of studying the lives of these individuals, one crucial factor stands out for the consistency and the power of its ties to physical health, mental health, and long life. And it isn't career achievement. Um, it isn't exercise. It isn't healthy diet. Uh, those things matter. They're very important. But one thing continuously comes to the forefront, and it's this. Good relationships. Good relationships matter in the body of Christ. In fact, close relationships are significant enough that you were to take 85 years of this study and you were boil it down to one single life principle, you would find out that good relationships are what keep people healthier and happier, period. I think that's a reminder that what we want to do is we want to be in a place, a position where we are building, cultivating happy, healthy relationships with each other. You know, as I think about this, I think of my own situation. Um, I, I have a wife that I want to maintain a healthy relationship with. We've been married 41 years. Uh, I want to maintain that relationship. I have a relationship with my children, four of my children, their spouses. You know, we have relationships with each of them. I have seven grandchildren. I want to maintain a healthy relationship with each of them, knowing how important those things are. What about friends? I have a, a network. I've, I've got two or three networks of, of friends that I want to maintain close relationships yesterday. Yesterday, Mary McAllister, uh, we had a service for her parents. Um, her mom um, had a relationship with another teacher in this area, and they had a relationship together for 70 years. They used to do things together as couples. For 70 years, they had a relationship. We need relationships. And I don't know about you, as I think about the relationship that I have, I want to maintain and have those relationships that are purposeful in my life. And how much more so in the body of Christ, in the family of God? Aren't we the family of God? Aren't we a household of faith? Aren't we members of one another? Don't we have the important responsibility of cultivating, encouraging, building up each other in the family of God? And I don't know about you, but I, I want to continue down that path. I've got, I believe, a few more years left, and I want to continue that path of nurturing relationships with people. This morning, I want to look at this idea of relationships and how we fit and how we belong to each other in the body of Christ. We actually belong as a church together. And I think that's what our text is going to point us to this morning. Hear the word of the Lord. Paul wrote a letter to the people at Ephesus. And I want you to notice how he writes these words in chapter 2, beginning in verse 19. Notice what he says. Consequently, so he's looking back. 
you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but, in other words, a change has happened, a change has occurred, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Man, what incredible words about the nature and the character of the church is, as Paul gives us these images of life together as a family, life together as a dwelling, life together as a, as a household of faith. Father, thank you for your word. Father, I thank you for the church. Father, we recognize that Jesus came to this earth to offer himself as a sacrifice for the church and that because of his life, death, burial, resurrection, we are engrafted into the body of Christ through faith. And Father, we are the church. We are the ecclesia. We are the called out ones. So Father, I thank you for this gathering this morning. Father, I pray that we would have the opportunity to sing together, Lord, to share lives together, Lord, to encourage each other, to build up each other. Father, I thank you for the family of God. Lord, I thank you for the way that they have taught me and allowed me to, to grow and mature in my faith because of the way that they have served each other. Father, we ask that you'd open our eyes that we would see wonderful things from your word. Father, I ask these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. amen. So sometimes when you get a text, um, you, you want to look beyond the text. You want to kind of look at, at what the bigger picture is. And so what I did was, with the book of Ephesians in this text, I went back and I wanted to see, well, what, what's the broader context of this? You know, what does the book of Ephesians tell us about Paul and about his teaching and what he's trying to get to here? And what we see over and over in the book of Ephesians is just this idea, this concept that we are in Christ, that we are in Jesus. You know, that but in, chapter, in verse 19 reminds us that something has happened in our lives. And because of our faith and our trust in Jesus, he says, this, listen, you're all saints. Look around. We see saints, holy ones. That's what it means that we are saints separated because of our faith. We've been adopted into the family of God. God has adopted us into his family. We are part of his family, a part of his extended family because of what he has done for us. And the, the church is made up of all kinds of people. When you look at the book of Ephesians, there are people who are close to God. And, and when Paul talks about that, he's talking about the, 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 the Jewish people had a close connection with God because of responsibility to them, and they were children of Abraham. So there was this, this sense of closeness. But, but you had these other people, Gentiles, like I would have been a Gentile, pagans, were, were farther off because we didn't have the, the, the rights and the privileges of the that the Jewish people had. And, and what he's saying is this, and that because of Jesus and because of our common faith, now we're, we're one body. We're a new man. We're part of the body of Christ. There's no hierarchy in the body of Christ. There's no ins and outs. We're all part of God's wonderful, wonderful family. And in the book of Ephesians says there's a mystery. The mystery is this, that, that Jews and Gentiles are now engrafted into the body of Christ and we become the family of God. We become the church. We become members of each other. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 6, and if you want to just flip your page, notice what Paul writes there. It's on the screen. What is, what is God doing? What is Jesus doing in the church? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16 says this, from him the whole body, so now he's using a, a body term, the whole body joined and held together by what? By every supporting ligament. You are a supporting ligament in the family of God. Grows and builds itself up in love, what? As each 
part does its work. We are needed in the body of Christ. We belong in the body of Christ. And what Jesus is doing, Jesus is working in and through us to build up each other in the family of God. And so what I want to do is I just want to look through this, and I want to walk through the text, and I want to give us a few pictures of, of how, how we belong in the family of God, how we belong in the church. Three images that he's going to give us. He's going to talk about being citizens. He's going to talk about being members of a household. And he's going to talk about a temple, that we are part of, of uh, the building blocks of a temple. Three beautiful images of what we would picture ourselves this morning. So let's begin. We belong. Why do we belong? Verse 19 says this, because we are citizens of God's kingdom. What's interesting is, is in verse 19, Paul uses a word he calls us, he says we are fellow citizens. And what it reminds us of is, is, is our citizenship. And that would be a really important topic for the Apostle Paul. If I could draw your attention to the book of Acts, there's a, there's a time when Paul is going into the city of Jerusalem. And he's going into the city of Jerusalem, and he's going to tell all of these people about Jesus. And as he goes to tell people about Jesus, he stirs up a riot, and they come to him, and they begin to arrest him, and they're going to drag him off. And the city of Jerusalem is in an uproar here because of what Paul has been saying. And the commander takes him, they arrest him, and they're going to lay him out because what they're going to do is they're going to beat him. They want to beat him because of all the turmoil that he has caused in the city of Jerusalem. In Acts 22, verse 19, or 29, notice what it said. Those who were about to question him withdrew immediately. The commander himself was alarmed when he realized that he had put Paul, a Roman citizen, in change. What's the big deal? they realized that Paul was actually a Roman citizen. And because he was a Roman citizen, he had certain rights, responsibilities, certain status. He could vote. He could own land. He could do all of these wonderful things because he had the status of a Roman citizen. In the, in the book of Acts, they did not believe that he was a Roman citizen. So what they were going to do is they were just going to arrest him and they were going to beat him because they did not believe him to be a Roman citizen. Paul was a Roman citizen, and because he was a Roman citizen, he had certain rights, he had certain responsibilities given to him, he had certain privileges given to him because of his Roman citizenship. When we come to faith in Jesus, our status before God immediately changes. Notice what it says, we are fellow citizens. We are no longer on the outside, we are on the inside. We belong to Jesus. And one of the main themes of chapter 2, if you were to go back and read chapter 2, is this, that we have been taken from the outside where we didn't belong, and we have been brought near to Jesus because of our faith and trust in him. And what Paul does in this chapter, he uses a couple of words to remind us of our status. Verse 19 says, a foreigner, you're no longer a foreigner. A foreigner was people that would come into maybe the city, and they would live there, but they were not supposed to be there. They were from a foreign country, so they would come and they would live inside the city. They were a foreigner. And verse 19 uses the word stranger. It's a person or a group who takes up residence but never really adopts a citizenship. So what he's saying, listen, you were a foreigner, you were a stranger to your relationship with God, but now because of your faith and your trust in Jesus, you have certain rights, certain responsibilities, a certain status, because you are now a citizen of the king. You're a citizen of the kingdom. Think about John the Baptist. Wasn't John the Baptist on the outside? 
Of course he was on the outside. A message of repentance, the guy, way the guy dressed, the things that he said, eating locusts. Here was a guy who was on the outside, and he comes speaking a message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. In other words, what he's talking about here is he's talking about a different change of status, if you will. The kingdom of God is coming in the unique person of Jesus Christ. And what he's doing is Jesus is actually building his kingdom. As we wrestle with who he is, as we put our faith and our trust in him, we recognize ultimately that Jesus is the king. Luke chapter 17, verse 20, notice that the religious leaders, the Pharisees, asked about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God was so important to them, and they asked about the kingdom. Luke chapter 17 says this, The kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation, nor will people say, here it is, or there it is. Why? Because the kingdom of God is within you. Well, in what way is the kingdom of God inside a person? How in the world does that work? Well, the king is Jesus. And the king comes in, and he conquers sin, and he conquers death, and he conquers, uh, he conquers Satan, and he, and he conquers all of these things that bind us, that trap us into an entirely different kingdom. And when the king comes, and he goes to the cross, and he offers himself as a sacrifice for our sin and my sin on the cross, we are now freed from our past. We enter into the very kingdom of God, and we have a new status, a new way of living because of our ultimate faith and trust in Jesus. And because I'm a believer and I'm a citizen of heaven, I'm a citizen of the kingdom, I have new rights, responsibilities. Paul said this, but our citizenship, speaking of citizens, but our citizenship is in heaven and from whom we wait longingly waiting for him to return. Our citizenship is in heaven and we wait for Jesus to return and to radically change us from this, this pattern of sin and selfless living, if you will. And so what we recognize is that because of our faith and trust in Jesus, we're citizens of the kingdom of God. And because of that, we have different rights, responsibilities, and privileges. Think about it. Citizen gives you a new identity. Look at verse 19 again. As a citizen, you have a new identity. It says this, we are fellow citizens, what? With God's people. God's people, those are saints. That means we, there's a sense of intimacy with, with God's people. We have an intimate relationship, hopefully, with the people around us because we're saints. We are set apart. We are godly people. We have a new status, if you will, because of our citizenship. Citizenship has incredible privileges. I mean, think about it this way. I have zero access to the mayor of Berkeley, to the mayor of St. Charles, where I live. I have zero access to our governor. Zero. I cannot get on the phone and call President, Clinton, or, uh, President uh, Biden. I cannot get on the phone and go, hey, I don't know why I said that. I have no idea. <laughs> There's no way that I could get on the phone and call President Biden. And if I did it two or three times, they'd probably come looking for me. <laughs> right? I mean, it, it, it's, it's ridiculous to even think about it. But think about it this way. You have access to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You have immediate access to him because of what he has done for you on the cross. So no matter what you are going through in your life right now, you have access to Jesus. Notice what it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18. It says this, For through him we both have access to the Father through one spirit, through the person of Jesus Christ, and because the Spirit of God living inside of me, because of my ultimate faith, I have access to my Heavenly Father. 
and he loves me and he cares for me in a most intimate way. That's immediate access. Jesus said these words in John chapter 10. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and what? They follow me. Well, what a great thing to be known by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Jesus. He knows me and is intimately acquainted with every aspect of my life. He knows exactly what you're struggling with at this particular point in time today. So citizenship gives us identity. Citizenship gives us a privilege. It also gives us security. There's a sense of security that I have because of my ultimate faith in Jesus I belong to God, and though I live here, this isn't my ultimate home. I'm just passing through. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. Notice how Paul describes the radical change that we've gone through as citizens of his kingdom. When you believed, when you believed and trusted in Jesus, you were marked in him with the seal of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit of God, when you believed, trusted in Jesus, the Spirit of God came to live inside of you. Verse 14 says this, who is a deposit, what? Guaranteeing our inheritance. I have a guaranteed inheritance that that day when I pass from this life into the next, I'm going to be welcomed in the very arms of Jesus because of who he is. And what that is a guaranteed inheritance until the redemption of those who what are God's possession. I'm owned by God. Where do I belong? I belong with God. I belong with Jesus. I belong in his family. I have a citizenship. I'm looking forward to anticipating the time that I'm going to be with Jesus. I have a status given to me. And though I may not feel like it in this world, I may at times feel like I'm being treated unjustly or I don't fit in or some of you maybe students feel like you don't belong. Well, yeah, you don't belong because your citizenship is in heaven and you are God's fellow citizen with all of the saints, with all of the holy ones. And that is a unique privilege we have of belonging to something beyond this world. So what does that mean for us? That means this, every believer is a saint. Every one of us, if you're a believer and you're trusting in Jesus, you are a saint. There is no hierarchy in the body of God. There are no aliens and strangers among his people. We are all God's people, except because of his grace. We have a common language. What's that language? It's the language of love. We have a common history, the life, teachings, and person of Jesus Christ. We have a common allegiance, and that is to honor and glorify Jesus for who he is and what he has done for us. We have a goal to glorify God. We have a common destination. Our inheritance is in in heaven, and we wait for Jesus to come. And we belong to the same kingdom as Abraham and Moses and David Jonathan Edwards, John Calvin, Jim Elliott, Bill, uh, Billy Graham, all, all we, we're, we belong to that kingdom because of what Jesus has done. So don't forget your citizenship. Don't forget that maybe you don't fit in here, but you do fit in God's kingdom because of the life, death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we're citizens of a greater kingdom. Notice what else, we're members of a family. Look at verse 19 again. Members of a family. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but what? Fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. Listen, I know we all agree that families are important. I get it. Boy, I sure understand the significance and responsibility that I have as a family. And I also believe this, that not everybody grew up in a Christian home. 
You know, maybe you didn't grow up where you had the foundation of Scripture, foundation of going to church, foundation of religion. Maybe, you're, maybe your household was not as healthy as uh, others. I, I get that. In the family of God, relationships are important, and, and family is important. If you go back and read um, Ephesians, over and over there's this little prepositional phrase that says this, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. Fourteen times that little prepositional phrase, in Christ, reframes our understanding of who we are and our status and our condition as being a part of the family of God. And as God loves Jesus, he loves us. And he loves us in such a way that all of the blessings that have been given to Jesus have been given to us because of our relationship with him. I'm a co-heir with God. Listen to how Romans chapter 8 describes it. Notice what Paul writes to the people. He says this, and, and this is about your family status, if you will. Now, if we are children, children of God through faith, we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Jesus. Pretty credible, isn't it? I'm a co-heir with Jesus. Talk about status. Talk about where you belong. Talk about where your citizenship is at. Man, I'm a co-heir with Jesus. And one day, all the promises that we've been given in the Bible are going to find their enjoyment in the unique person of Jesus because I am a co-heir with him. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that what? We may share in his glory. No matter, no matter, think about the sufferings here. No matter how hard and how difficult the sufferings are in life, and there's a lot of them, no matter how bad they are, how difficult, what Jesus could do is he can transform that suffering and he can, through a process of transformation, he can turn that into glory. He can turn that into glory. That's why we sing the song, Ashes, Graves, what's, it called? what's the name of the song? Yeah, something like that, yeah. Because he can transform and change all of our lives and make the bad into good for his goodness and for his glory. Hebrews, listen to what it says in the book of Hebrews. This is speaking of Jesus. Hebrews chapter 2 is about Jesus and, and about uh, the author elevating Jesus above the angels. Notice what he says about us. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11 says this. Both the one who makes men holy, that's Jesus, and those who are made holy, that's me, are of the what? We're of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers or family. Jesus is not ashamed to call us family. He's not ashamed to call us brothers. You know, sometimes you look around in the family of God and you go, uh, I'm not sure I'm really related to that person in the family of God. Jesus said, I'm not ashamed to call them brothers because of what they've done. To be a citizen of God's kingdom is to be a member of the family also. They're not two distinct roles, but rather different views of the same reality. As citizens, we have a status, we have privilege, we have rights, responsibilities given to us. As a member of God's household, it's a much more intimate term, and it means that we have these legitimate relationships in the family of God, and we need to do the best that we can to cultivate those intimate relationships with each other. As the family of God, we belong to each other, and we should belong to each other. You know, I, 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 don't, I don't want one person to be over here. I don't want one person to be over here. It saddens me when I, when I feel like people are over here. And sometimes I just don't know what to do. I don't want people to be over here. Because that's not the way we're supposed to operate. We're supposed to love and care and nurture each other. 
and and in the family of God, we have certain rights and responsibilities. We live together as family. We do life together as family. Ephesians chapter 3 says this. Let me just read this verse. It says this. From whom the whole family in heaven and earth derives its name. Listen, we're part of the universal church. The whole family. There's a family in heaven and there's a family on this earth. Chapel of the Lake, Grace, all of these wonderful churches around us who are teaching, preaching, proclaiming the message of Christ. We are a part of that family. And we should celebrate the fact that we're a part of that family. Sometimes our family relationships uh, go beyond Hope Church relationships, at least some of mine do. So as members of God's family, we're a part of something bigger than ourselves. But we also have the same, we have the same father. Now maybe you didn't have a, a healthy relationship with your father. The Bible reminds us that we have a heavenly father who loves us and cares about us and knows intimately about your past, your present, and your future. I'd like to think that I would do anything for my children. I'd like to think that I would do anything for my grandkids. Our Heavenly Father sent Jesus to go to the cross and die for me and for you. And because of that, we had the great privilege of, of relating to as, a, as a, a heavenly father. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, in the disciples' prayer, remember what Jesus said? He said this, pray to our father. Not my father, but our father. Collectively, we are a part of God's family. And he's our father, that we can relate to him in an intimate way. What a beautiful description of a relationship that we have with our family the head of our family. Galatians chapter 4 talks about it and makes it a little bit more intimate. Galatians chapter 4 says this, Paul writes, and because you are sons, so we're relating to each other as family, God sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out what? Abba Father. Abba Father. Man, when a child is hurting and a child is disconnected, and a child is going through something really, really difficult, don't they cry out, Mommy, Mommy, Daddy, Daddy? Because there's something going inside of their lives and they need help. And we relate to our Heavenly Father in an intimate way. Abba, Father. I come to you because you're my Abba, Father. I come to you because you know my hurts. I come to you because... You know what's going on in my life. I come to you because I know that you love me and you care for me in a way that no one else could do. You relate to me in a way that no one else can. See, members of God's family, we are a family. We have the same father. We also have family relationships. We have family relationships. Think, look around. I hope that you have family relationships. I hope you have those opportunities to gather together and relate to people in an intimate way. I, I, I really do because we need that. In, 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 the, in the body of Christ, we, we relate to each other as family members in an entirely different way. You know, you, you may have a closer, I, I have found that I have closer relationships sometimes with my friends and family in the church than I do my own family. Because sometimes there's a, there's a spiritual disconnect with my family members. If, they, if they're not walking with the Lord, if they're not a Christian, there's, there's a spiritual disconnect. And, and I find that my church family are the ones that I tend to gravitate toward in spiritual ways because of that connection with the Heavenly Father, that connection with spiritual things. Paul is writing to his young protege, Timothy. 
And he's writing about the church, and he wants Timothy to, to stand strong in the church. And, and, he, and he writes about relationships. And I want to read this verse. We're going to put it on the screen. And notice how the relationships are changed. Notice how they're kind of identified in a different way. It says this, Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as you were what? Your, your father. That's, that's family relationships. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. See, in the family of God, the nature of our relationships have radically changed. I relate to each other as brothers and sisters. We relate to each other differently as, as family members because of what Jesus has done in dying on the cross for our sin, for what he would do for us. Years ago, um, I did a... I did a wedding for Matt Zamudio in Las Vegas. I had to go to Vegas. That was an interesting experience, go to Vegas and do a wedding. And it was interesting because uh, the, the church that, that Matt was a part of, they were a big brother church, you know, brother Clint, brother this. And it was just really, really different that I was brother Clint. And, and as odd as that was for me, it's very true that we are brothers and sisters in Jesus because of who he is and what he has done for us. And because we have these family relationships, we relate to each other in a different way. We have the same father. We have family relationship. But there's something else. We have family responsibilities. Listen, if you're a part of a family, you want to be a part of being, using your gifts, your talents, your, whatever you're good at, you want to be a part of using that in the family. I would think we would all want to be a part of that. And that's the same with us in the family of God. We have responsibilities to respond and act in a certain way to the members of our household, if you will. You know, we can't just sit around and say, well, you know, I'm just going to wait for someone else to come up to me or I'm going to wait for someone else to do it. Listen, if the Spirit of God is living inside of you, we are challenged to use our gifts, our talents in the family of God in such a way that we build each other up. Listen to what Paul in Galatians chapter 6, listen, I get how hard it is to, to, to work and to serve and minister. It's hard. Because we all have our own lives. It's inconvenient for us to get involved in. I don't want to get in somebody else's life because sometimes it's really, really messy. I get that. Notice what Paul writes to the people of Galatia. Let us not become weary in doing good. Why does he write that? Why does he write that? Because we can become weary in doing good. And then what happens is we begin to think, well, I don't need to do good anymore. I'm weary, I'm worn out, I don't want to do it anymore. He says, do not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. In other words, that, that's a trust in the Lord. That's a trust that God is sovereign in all of these circumstances and that God is going to be the one who's going to bring up the, about the harvest. What we're going to do is we're simply going to act, respond in faith to whatever situation that we might find ourselves in. Notice what he says. Therefore, as we have the opportunity to do good, opportunities come up when? In the most inconvenient of times, don't they? Don't they? Tuesday morning, I'm sleeping. My phone goes off. Beep, beep, beep. I get a text message. Clint, will you pray for us today? My husband is beginning chemotherapy, and I'm a little bit nervous about what's going to happen. That's an inopportune time. But that's what he's talking about. We have the opportunity to do good, and sometimes it doesn't fit into our schedule. Now, wouldn't it be nice if all the, the problems of the world fit into our schedule? Man, that would be good. But that wouldn't be an opportunity, would it? 
an open door for us to pursue. Therefore, as we have opportunity to do good to all people, all people, not just the family of God, but to all people, whenever that opportunity comes, what am I going to do? I'm going to share, because I'm a, I'm a believer and I'm trusting in Jesus, and because I'm a part of this great big family out there, what I'm going to do is part of my family responsibility is to find ways to serve other people, to all people. And then he says, especially those who belong to the family of believers. We have a dual responsibility to everyone and then to the family of God. What? What we want to do, because we are members of God's household, we want to recognize the responsibility that we have to serve other people. And what a great privilege it is for us to serve other people because we tend to be the ones who get the blessing when we reach out and do that. So, where are we? We belong. Why? Because we're citizens of a kingdom. We belong. Why? Because we're members of a household. If you're, if you're a person of faith, that's, that is where you stand today. And the final thing we're going to see is, is, is that God is going to use all of us, all of us, to build something beautiful. He's going to build something. He's, he's building a temple where the Spirit of God lives. Notice what he says in verses 20 to 22. A final image. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him... The whole building, and now he's back to a building. In him, the whole building is what? Joined together. We're all joined together. And rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Man, what, a, what an incredible description of us, of where we sit today. What is God doing? Well, we're all believers in Jesus. And what he's doing is using each person to build we're joined together. We're built together. The foundation is, is the apostles and the prophets, uh, the disciples who had that embodiment of, of, of truth, that embodiment of being with Jesus. And as they pass that information along, we have this uh, apostles and the prophets coming together. They're, they're not the foundation, but they're laying the foundation based upon the unique person of Jesus Christ. And all of that has come to us in the word of God. And we have the great privilege of pe- preaching and proclaiming that so that we can grow and mature in our faith. That's what he's asking us to do, is to recognize the foundation that we have, a foundation of which the Word of God has been given to us. And what we do is we, we embrace the Word of God. We embrace what God is doing in our life. And we have the great privilege of being able to preach and proclaim that to other people. And we're building on that foundation as we continue to preach and proclaim the Word of God. Notice what it says. Uh, let me just read First uh, Thessalonians chapter 2. It talks about the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Notice how Paul wrote and interpreted this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 says this to the people of Thessalonica. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God. Paul is what he's, he's speaking to them. He's been with them. And now what is it? he's writing the word of God. It says, when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is the word of God which is at work in you who believe. Paul was understanding his relationship. He was understanding the responsibility that he had. And he was actually preaching, proclaiming, and telling people that this is the word of God as it comes to us from Jesus. And that's the foundation that you and I have the great privilege of building on this foundation of the word of God. That's why we read, study, and meditate on it. And what are we building on? The cornerstone. Cornerstone, the, the cornerstone of the building, evidently in Jerusalem, the, the, the temple in Jerusalem, that, that cornerstone is supposedly like 29 feet long and as big as a boxcar. 
And that's supposedly the, the cornerstone of that building. And that cornerstone has to be absolutely correct and perfect because if that cornerstone is not where it's supposed to be, guess what? When you get to the other end of the building, it's going to be off. Our cornerstone is Jesus. Life, death, burial, resurrection, and all of who he is. Some of you are familiar with this hymn. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. She is his new creation by water and the word. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood he bought her, and for her life he died. Jesus comes, and he's the foundation of our faith. He's the foundation, he's the cornerstone of our lives, the cornerstone of our families, the cornerstone of all that we would do. And we look to him as the cornerstone. And what's he doing? He's building us into be the body of Christ. That's what he's doing. He's building us up. Verse 21 says, In him, the whole building, all of us, we're the entire building, is joined together and rises to become what? A holy temple in the Lord. You ever thought about that? A holy temple in the Lord. When we gather together to meet, God is building us together, and we, we are that holy, that holy place of worship to the Lord knowing who he is and understanding who he is. And we come together together as an entirely different entity to what to, to worship. And you go back and read. I've read in the book of Exodus the meticulous instructions that God gave Moses to build the tabernacle. And it is mind-boggling. And here what God is doing, he's building us up joining us together, forming us together, so that we become a holy temple, if you will, in the Lord. Peter said this about the same theme, if you will. As you come to him, all of us come to him, the living stone are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We are attached to Jesus as the living stone. And what we are doing is honoring and glorifying him for who he is and what he's done for us. What a great privilege we have. So, we belong. Why do we belong? Because we're citizens. Our status has changed. We belong because we're members of a household. You're a part of something bigger than that. We belong because God is building us into a holy temple, if you will, so that we can worship and honor and glorify him couple of things before we go. I want to just point a couple of things out. So, so what is this supposed to mean? What, what am I supposed to do with this? Let me just offer a couple of suggestions. First of all, it's this. Relationships are absolutely important. Relationships are important. And so what we want to do is we want to make sure that what we are doing is hopefully building into the lives of other people and understanding the relationship we have. And I get it's hard. I get that it's hard. And sometimes what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to make some change. And we may have to pursue a person or a community. We may have to actually move and adjust our lives in order to make that happen. I get that. But relationships are important. And I would encourage you to do the best that you can to pursue that, whatever that context of community would be. Second thing I would say is this. Church is not perfect. The church is not perfect. I am not perfect. We are not perfect. We are going to make mistakes. I make mistakes. We all make mistakes, don't we? But because we're part of the same family and because of Jesus in his death on the cross that offers us 
the forgiveness of sin. We have the great privilege to forgive other people when they sin against us. And that is part of the glue that holds us together. We are joined together. We are molded together. We are built together because of the grace that's been given us in Christ Jesus. And as you extend me grace, I think we need to be people who extend grace to other people. Why? Because the church is not perfect. And I hope that as God continues to build the church, this is a place of worship. The Bible says this, whether you eat, drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. God created us to worship him. Isaiah, bring my sons and my daughters from afar, those whom I created for my glory. God has created us that we might honor, worship, and glorify him. And as we gather together, as we sing, as we share, what we want to do is hopefully is to glorify him for who he is. The last thing I would say is this. Listen, the building's not complete. We're not it. I hope that as we go out as living stones, wherever the Lord might take us to, family, friends, community, schools, wherever that would be, and we represent him because of this new status that we have, that we would be mindful of the responsibility that we have to tell people about this great and honoring God who loves us and cares for us. We have a responsibility. We're the church gathered, but we're also the church scattered. That's part of the church. That's the responsibility that we have. And I hope that we would not forget that because God wants to what? Jesus wants to build my church. Why? Because the gates of Hades is not going to destroy it. That's the church. And I hope that you would know and understand that we all belong in the family of God. Father, thank you for your word. Father, I pray that you would continue to work, Lord, in our individual lives and God in our church to recognize that uh, we belong Father, first of all, we belong to you. Father, we thank you that we are in Christ and that our lives are radically different because of our faith and our trust in you. And Father, I do pray for us collectively as individuals and as a church, Lord, that we would be the body of Christ that honors you, that glorifies you, that uh, proclaims your truth, uh, that we are holy as you are holy, and that we would do the best that we can to be a part of this well, not, not a, a business, not an organization, but part of a body where we are investing and praying and building up and encouraging and helping other people, Lord. Father, I pray that you would allow us to do that. Father, thank you for Jesus, the cornerstone, the one who unites us. Lord, I ask these things in his name. Amen.